Well, good morning. Have you ever had disappointed expectations? I'm the only one. Never mind. Let's move on. No, nobody? You've been disappointed by expectations. Um, long, maybe, oh, this isn't a long story. When, when we were in college, we had to do an internship for our college, and so we weren't sure what we were going to do. We decided that we were going to do it through missions, and so we moved to Tanzania, Africa for 11 weeks-ish, and so we were there for 11 weeks. Our internship only had to be 10 weeks, and so we were doing our internship, and we're like, we got this extra week in here. What do we do? We're, we're in Africa. I mean, come on. Like, we're in Tanzania, Africa. What should we do? And we decide, we heard there was some cheap tickets. We could spend a week in Zanzibar. If you, if you Google Zanzibar, I mean, beautiful beaches, blue waters. I mean, this is one of the most gorgeous places on earth. We're like, it was like 200 bucks, a ferry ride across the ocean to this island, and a full week, accommodations, food, and day trips of like just all different things throughout the week. And we thought, it's 200 bucks. Like, and I'm the stingy one. I was kind of going, I don't know, but 200 bucks. And so we got like, we're doing this. So we go on this trip to Zanzibar, and we're on this boat going across the ocean with everybody getting seasick. So already, um, yeah, I'm being a little disappointed. And then we show up, and this guy picks us up in a van, definitely a Rastafarian kind of guy. I'm fairly certain on one of our day trips, we may have stopped. A guy jumped over the fence. There was some deal made at the window, and he jumped back over the fence. We're like, what did we sign up for here? And then, so then we finally get to our outing for that day, and it's snorkeling. We're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And so they're going to take us over to another little island, Turtle Island. They've got these giant tortoises. It's going to be amazing. And we get our snorkeling gear. We go. They walk us out to this wooden boat, which, I mean, if you look at the pictures, they have these wooden boats all over floating. And it's like, this looks just amazing. We're on our way over. We can see the island way out here. We're going over waves. It's a little choppy. It's like, it's okay. I look back to see our guy driving the boat, one hand on the motor. The other hand, he's bailing, he's bailing water. We're like, are we going to make it? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. And basically, we get to the other side of the island. They drop us off and said, we'll be back later. <laughs> and so we jump out. Like, okay. Um, it's like, it was, it was thing after thing after thing. We're like, I don't know that this is really how this whole touristy thing is supposed to go. We were in college. We were cheap. And we got what we paid for. Um, but it was probably a little bit of some disappointing expectations through still a fun week. But I think our, our culture, we kind of are set up for these expectations to be grand expectations. Things are going to be amazing. And yet, like we watch HGTV, we watch houses get renovated in 30 minutes or whatever, right? And it looks amazing. And then you, you're like, I can do this. So you start tearing out walls. And then you realize 10 years later, you're hoping that a storm blows through. Um, <laughs> But it's like that's how life seems to go, and it's like we set these high expectations, and then sometimes we're a little disappointed. And I think the disciples, as they walked with Jesus for three years, and they've gotten to see miracles, they've gotten to see people healed, and they've got to see some amazing things, they're at a point where things are about to turn. 
And Jesus is letting them know that, that some of the things that they're going to face in these next couple days are going to be really hard. And it's going to be really rough on them. But it's only temporary. So we're going to look today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app with you, if you want to turn to John chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 16. But we're going to look at how this temporary grief that they're going to face is going to be turned to joy. So before we dive in, let's pray. God, I thank you that we get to hold your word in our hands and that we get to learn and grow from it. And God, I ask that you would help us to open our hearts to be willing to see where we need to grow and change to trust you through hard times and that we would look forward to the day when we get to be reunited with you. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're doing a continuation here as, as we look through the Gospel of John and we're looking kind of at the, the final discourse and to see this intimate portrait of who Jesus is. And we're looking at John 16, 16 through 33. And last week Dave talked about how the world is going to hate you because of loving Jesus. And we're going to see that firsthand that the disciples are about to realize this hatred and Jesus is about to experience this hatred firsthand as we are hours away, probably less than 24 hours, from Jesus being arrested and crucified. So they're going to see this grief and, and, and the pain, the sorrow, but Jesus is letting them know he's going to turn it to joy. So let's go ahead and look at this. First thing that we're going to see here through this is that Jesus takes this and he transforms the sorrow that they face. So starting in verse 16, we're going to read through 22 for this first section here. Says, Jesus says, a little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. But Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So this starts off with a lot of back and forth, and you probably caught on to the whole, a little while I'm not going to see you, then I will see you. That's repeated a few times there. But the disciples, and maybe this brings me some comfort to know that I'm not too far off, maybe, is that I can often read the Bible and be awfully confused and go, I don't know that I understand this. And you have to dig into it, and that's okay. Even the disciples, as Jesus is talking to them, they don't get it. They, they, they totally miss what Jesus is talking about. And so what is this whole little while thing? Jesus is, is letting them know what, maybe what he thought was fairly clearly that they missed. Is that he, in less than two days, or in less than a day, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be taken to the cross, crucified. They're not going to see him for a while. For three days, they're not going to see him. And then he's going to raise to life again, and then they would see him again. But they didn't understand all of that. And then in verse 19, maybe what's some, some comfort to that 
is that Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. You see, it, I think we can often think that Jesus is maybe surprised by our confusion or that, that maybe we're just expected to understand all of it. But Jesus understood that they wanted to ask and he goes to them. He turns to them and, and addresses the issue. And I think as I'm reading this, it sounds, I don't know if it, teachers, this happens all the time, your, your students are confused. So rather than ask you, they, they lean over, what was that? Like, I, did, I didn't catch it. They'll, they'll ask each other. And is that all, probably not always the most reliable thing to turn to your friends that also were not paying attention um, and ask them, what, what, am, what did I miss? But rather, you just raise your hand and ask the question. And the disciples kind of miss that. They turn to each other to ask each other uh, for some clarity, but they were too afraid to ask. But Jesus knows that, and he cares for them. He wants them to understand, and he wants to explain to them what's going on. So I love that Jesus turns to them. And I think in our lives, we can be confused by things, not knowing what God's doing or, or understand what he's asking us to do. And we can turn to others often. But hopefully, we turn to God and know that he cares for us. He wants us to understand. So even if you're afraid or too timid to ask God, turn to God. Verse 20 then. Jesus makes it clear that you're going to weep and lament, but the world's going to be rejoicing. So as this time comes and that Jesus is betrayed by one of his own, and as he is arrested and then goes through the whole trial process and, and, and is then crucified, he's letting them know, you're going to be mourning, you're going to be weeping, and yet all at that same time, you're going to have the world around you that is rejoicing, that they're going to be the ones cheering and shouting for him to be crucified while you weep. And they have to understand that th this sorrow that they're going to be facing and, and how everything's just going to look out of sorts with the world cheering for such a terrible thing, that it's temporary. He's letting them know that it's only for a while this sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And then he goes ahead and gives the example of giving birth, which I barely made it through my first child being born without passing out. So I can relate. No, I can't. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to act like I can. Don't. All the moms in here are like, don't you dare. <laughs> yeah, I, I barely, I, I pass out. I, I'll just say it immediately. They, they had a nurse watching over me to make sure I was going to make it through the birthing process. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pain and anguish. We'll leave it at that before I get lightheaded. Um, there's, there's a lot of pain and anguish that goes with childbirth. But yet, all of that is for a purpose. You understand that that's going to be doing something. It's producing something. And so you, you go through that because you're anxiously awaiting the birth of that child. And when then you get to hold that baby in your arms, then you understand and you rejoice at the fact that you have a baby. And the pain that you've suffered through, not that it just magically goes away, but all of a sudden, it's the joy that's set before you. It kind of overtakes everything. And I think the big thing that I, I notice in this, this example is that God does not always just take and replace. It doesn't, that he, he takes away the pain of childbirth and gives you a baby so that it's just magically gone. God doesn't do the same for us in our life. He doesn't just take away sorrow and give you joy. What happens when your children are growing up and you give them a new present for Christmas. Two hours later, it's broken and they're crying, 
right? But do we, just, do we just go, no, 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 it's okay. I bought a second. I knew this would happen. And then you give them that one. Do we just keep, continue to replace those broken things because that's what's going to bring joy? Or do you allow that time to transform your child and help them to grow? And we have to walk through that same thing, that we can't just substitute pain or substitute for pain to bring joy. We have to allow that pain to transform us. I, I thought Warren Wiersbe, he talked about this a bit, that this, this substituting thing. He says, the way of substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. The way of transformation is the way of faith and maturity. We cannot mature emotionally or spiritually if somebody is always replacing our broken toys. So if we want to mature and to be transformed by God, we have to allow even the hardest of things to do a work within us that is going to transform our lives. So we watch Jesus as he does this himself, that he transforms the brokenness of sin and death, and he transforms it and takes it and creates life. And so even in our own brokenness of sin, we can have joy knowing that Jesus has made a way for life. I, so with that thought of joy, Hebrews 12, 2, even says that Jesus, for the, who the joy set before him, endured the cross. It wasn't joy to go to the cross. He looked beyond the cross to see what was happening on the other side of the cross, that there would be joy and that he would be taking and defeating sin and death. So joy is connected for us to see Jesus again and that being reunited with him on the other side of sin and death. So we see that Jesus takes that, that grief and that sorrow, he transforms it and turns it to joy. The second thing that I think that we see here, which is a big thing, is that we get the privilege of prayer. And I think sometimes maybe we don't always give prayer maybe all the credit that we should. We, can, we always treat it like it's the least I can do is pray. It's a big thing, and we need to see that here in these verses as we continue in verse 23 through 27. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So there is joy even in our prayer. See, the disciples would have understood as they studied, even especially the Old Testament, that there's been a disconnect, that we've not always been able to come before God, that, that we have not been able to approach God. We have had somebody else that approaches God for us. So even Moses, as he goes to get the Ten Commandments, he goes up the mountain, and they're told that not even a person or an animal is to touch the mountain. That Moses went before to go between and then you even see that as there was a temple, the priest could go in and to go before God and to, to make sacrifices, but not everyone was allowed. And so this is a huge thing that, that Jesus is telling us that he's changing this relationship. He's not just making it that, that somebody goes and does that for you, but he is that person that goes before you. 
So we don't have to be far off from God because of his holiness and our sinfulness, but we are covered by Jesus that we can come before him and we can have that relationship because of Jesus' sacrifice. So he wants that sacrifice with you. And I think that's the beautiful thing is that's the way God had intended it. He loved us so much that when he created things, he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he walked with them in the cool of the evening. To have that kind of relationship with God, to be able to be that connected and that close with God is what he intended. That is that perfect, complete wholeness, that shalom, peace that we see is thatness with God. And that was his intentions the whole time. And this is a turning of things that we don't have to have somebody else go before us to God. We get to come to God in Jesus' name. Now, when it says that we ask in his name and he's going to give to us, please do not run far with this because a lot of people do. This is not health and wealth or prosperity gospel. This is not the genie in a bottle, you know, make your wishes and God's going to magically do this for you. When it says that you are to pray in his name, it's, it's to say these things in his nature or on his behalf. A little bit of, this is probably a terrible example, but I'm going to share it anyway, I guess. I'm thinking of back in the day when I, our, I, I grew up in a really tiny town, and this is probably the only way you get away with this, is that you could go down to the gas station and just say, no, that's on my dad's tab, Right? So you could, you could like go down there and get anything you wanted and put it on the tab, but at some point you had to answer for that, right? That was the catch of all that. But when we, when we enter before and, and we get to pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in, in his nature or on behalf of him or with him. We are praying for his will to be done. We pray the, the, Lord's, the Lord's prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's his will. It's not our own. We're not just looking at this selfishly to pray on our own, but we're saying we want what he wants. And we want what is already happening in heaven to be happening here on earth as well. And then I, I love these last couple verses here in this section that talked through us being loved by the Father, which maybe I, I loved it, but yet was a little confusing. Because in verse 28 it says, I, or sorry, 27, it says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, we all know John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? He loved. He sacrificially loved. That's the agape love. He sacrificially loved the entire world, and he gave. He sacrificed for us and showed us his love. But then I see this little part on the end of it even that says, the Father loves you because... You loved me and have believed that I came from God. That struck me and kind of caught me off guard. And I thought, well, why is this that he loves because of something? I thought he just loved. And he does. He sacrificially loves us all. But this is a different love. This is phileo, or we, where we get Philadelphia, right? The brotherly love. This is an affectionate love that he has for you. He, he loves and feels affection for you. Because you love Jesus. I mean, for any of us, you think about our children. If you love my kids, you have a better chance of me loving you, right? That's, that's the way to get to a parent. Love their kids, and they love you. And we see that we've loved Jesus, and God's, God's heart's like, I love you so much because you love my son. You loved him and accepted him, and I love you so much for it. 
So we have this relationship with God that we get to have through Christ. And so this turns our sorrow of this distance and this disconnectedness that we've had from God because of our sin, but we get to have that closeness again through the privilege of prayer. Let's go ahead and finish off our verses here as we look that Christ has overcome. This is going to be verses 28 through the end of the chapter there. It says, I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will scatter, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is pretty clear at the beginning of this. In verse 28, I love that he lays this out. It's pretty plain and, and simple, but he's, he's laying out the gospel message. He's saying that I, God has a relationship with us. He wants that relationship to be restored with us, but because of our sin, we're separated from him and that we no longer have that connection with God. And that's why Jesus left heaven. He said, I, I was with the Father, then I came. He left, came to the world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our punishments, to die for our sins, and then in three days, rise to life. And that he would defeat sin and death, and then he would return again to God. And he's making this way for us to be reunited with God so that we can live with him for eternity. So he's saying, I, I was with God, I came here, and I'm going back to him. It's the gospel message in like one sentence. So we see that, that we get to have that. And then it says that he's no longer going to be speaking in figures of speech. This is like speaking in parables and Jesus would pack these stories with all sorts of truths. And there was a lot of th times that those parables might confuse people and, and, and people wouldn't understand it completely. And Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to be giving you figures of speech, but I'm going to tell you things very plainly and clearly so that you will not have misunderstanding. And then the disciples say, now we understand. You're clear. You've been so clear. We believe. But Jesus' response says, do you now believe? Because the hour is coming and you're going to be scattered, each to your own home. And even Jesus knows that this is going to be happening, that the disciples are going to, going to flee for their lives as Jesus is arrested. They're going to run away and leave him. Yet he's not alone, but he, he knows this, and he still spends all of this time. We're talking about the final, Jesus' final discourse. Like all of this is teaching time with his disciples, and he's spending intentional time with them, even though he knows that they're going to turn and leave him. He loves them. And he's taking this time to show them that love. And yet he knows even though that they may leave, God the Father is with him. And then you see verse 33. And I don't know if you write or highlight in your Bible. This is one you probably ought to have underlined or, or selected in the, in the app or whatever it is. Verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart 
I have overcome the world. Man, there's so much in that. We look at that. The very first thing I want to point out is this says, in the world, you will have tribulation. We don't need this to be pointed out too much, right? We understand that we face trials and hardships. Those things come pretty easily. It's a sure thing. You will face that. But do you understand that there's a conditional part or a choice that we have in this? It says that you may have peace. How do we have that peace? We have that in Christ. I've said these things that in me, you may have peace. That's a choice that we have. We can face trials and hardships and we can do it on our own and it will be without peace if we're without Christ. We need to have Christ in our lives so that he can restore this relationship within us and then give us peace so that we can continue through our trials and, our, and through our world and point people back to Christ. So, yes, we still live in this world. We will face our trials, but we have to be more connected with Christ than we are with the world. We talked the other week about abiding in him, that he is the vine and we're the branches. When we are connected well with him and that we stay rooted in him, he is our strength for nourishment and, and everything that we need as the vine. So we need to hold fast to him. And then we see these words as Jesus is about to be tortured and killed and put to death. But yet he looks beyond that, just like childbearing. It's looking beyond the pain in the moment, but looking ahead to what's to come. He looks beyond that, and then he even is so confident to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's saying this as if it's already as good as done. It's already, it, I'm, this is already happening. I have overcome the world. He's going to prove to be victorious over sin and death, and he's going to take our grief, and he turns it to joy. And then I look at this great love that God has for us. And I look at Romans 8, 37 to 39, and it says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful thing to be reunited, to be back together in perfect unity with God again. And it's only that in Jesus that we find this peace even through tribulation. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to encourage you that as, as you face sorrow and grief, many of you can be in that moment right now facing those things, unsure what to do. I want to encourage you, allow God to use that time. Let him transform your sorrow. Let that to be a time to, to grow and, and, and to be closer to him and to be more like him. Remember that Jesus' time going to the cross, that he took that time for a purpose. He knew that this was going to make a way for us to be reunited with God, that we could be with him in a close relationship. And we can come before God, covered in Jesus' name, and that's our privilege in prayer. And we face all of this, and we can do it with courage, and we can do it with peace, knowing that Jesus has overcome. He has overcome the world, he's overcome sin and death, and he's declared victory.
So it turns our grief into joy because we look beyond the here and now and we look to what he's done and what he has gone to prepare for us. So allow the grief that you might face, as hard as it may be, to look beyond it, but to see what God has already done and allow that time to grow you, to shape you, to help you. And I love the phrase, don't ask for it to be taken away, but ask for God to help you to navigate through it well. That you be able to face those trials and be better on the other side. And then you can have joy looking back at what he has done. So this is no HGTV makeover or anything. It's not maybe even going to be quick and easy, but it's not going to be disappointed expectations. This is momentary trials that we then look to the joy that God has for us. So this is victory in Christ to turn our grief into joy, but it's all because of what Jesus does on the cross. So we're going to sing about this victory, but it's all because the battle belongs to the Lord. So would you stand with us as we sing?